Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. I'm very excited about what we're going to do together today. Uh, We're going to weave learning from God with responding to God. Uh, We're going to use music to impress in our bodies uh, and in our hearts what we affirm in our mind. Uh, So this message is going to be broken up into three parts. Uh, The first two are kind of heavy, uh, given the nature of the passage we're studying. Uh, But the last part is when I'm going to talk about how it really is possible to have a transformed mind. Uh, It's possible for us to have the mind of Christ. So I hope you uh, stick around to hear uh, that. All right, this is what the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3, uh, starting at verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul begins by talking about two kinds of minds. Uh, You can have a mind set on earthly things, or you can have a mind set on things above. Uh, Now understand when Paul talks about the mind, he's not talking about your intelligence or just your thoughts. Uh, He's talking about your whole inner life. Uh, You have a constant stream of feelings and uh, perceptions and understandings and thoughts and intentions and desires And that stream is going on inside of you all the time. Uh, That stream of thoughts uh, determines eventually what you do and what you say. Uh, Much of the time, we're hardly even aware of the feelings and the thoughts and the desires that are going on inside of us, uh, but they are always there. And to Paul, they're vital. And Paul says very clearly that there are certain things we should not expose our minds to. Paul says, do not let these things enter your mind. He literally says, put them them to death. And he lists five things in verse 5 and five more in verse 8. In Colossians 3, 5, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And by earthly, he means that which is opposed to Christ. Uh, not just what's physical and material, what is actually opposed to Christ. Uh, Paul uses very serious language here. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things. Uh, This is very serious language. Uh, The wrath of God is coming because of these things. And so Paul says, eliminate it, die to it. And the decision that we need to make today, and this will not be easy, but we need to consider ourselves dead to these things. Uh, In Romans 6, 
11, Paul says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, this is a new way to think about life. Um, if you have a car battery and the battery is dead, what happens to the car when you try to start it? Uh, I don't much know much about cars, but my best guess is uh, the car doesn't respond. Uh, the battery is dead. Uh, dead means you are not going to respond as you used to. Um, that's part of what dead means. It means you are not responsive. Uh, that's a pretty safe statement. And Paul is saying, I want you to begin to count yourself, to think of yourself as being dead to sin. That is, you're simply not going to respond to it. Uh, you're going to be as one who is dead. Uh, when was the last time you were in a small group and someone said, uh, I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm done with it. Probably never. Uh, we don't say that sort of thing very often. It, it sounds too ambitious. But what's the alternative? I'm just going to keep on sinning. And Paul is saying, I want you now to begin to think of yourself in a new way, as one who is dead to sin. And we need to understand that when we make this decision, we will fail. Uh, it's something that we will wrestle with our whole life. Uh, we will have to attack it one day at a time, and we'll have to persist in it, and it'll take the, the Spirit's help but the truth about us is, for many of us, we've never actually come to the point where we've made the decision to die to sin. We've never said, I'm drawing a line in the sand. And from now on, from here on, sin is no longer an option. For very many followers of Jesus, there is in the back of their mind uh, this kind of idea. Uh, sin is a bad thing, and I probably shouldn't do it. But if I'm in a real desperate situation and cheating is the only thing that will get me out of it or the only thing that will get me what I believe I need to have to survive, well, as a last resort, it's there. And Paul is saying, no, I want you to close the door. Don't open it again. Consider that it's no longer an option. So have you made that decision? First, Paul lists sexual sins that he wants us to die to. He talks about sexual immorality or fornication. And Paul is very blunt here. Uh, and we sometimes try to rationalize things. You know, I had a couple who was uh, living together. They were talking to me about this one time. Uh, she had been married previously, was now divorced, uh, had a child by her previous marriage. And they met with me and said, we're living together. Uh, we know the Bible says that we shouldn't commit adultery. Uh, but she said, I'm divorced now, so this isn't adultery, right? And I had to be very straightforward. Uh, it's not adultery, but the word in the Bible is fornication. Uh, the writers of scripture are very clear about this. Again, because human nature is to kind of try to play games with this sort of thing. Some people may think that because they've avoided uh, fornication in some technical sense, that they're off the hook. Well, Paul goes on. Uh, he mentions sexual immorality, and then he says impurity. And this involves a character that's damaged by immoral behavior, uh, immoral habits, impure habits, impure uh, patterns. Involvement in things like pornography would be included here. And then he says lust, or it could be translated passion. Uh, now, this doesn't mean simply finding someone attractive. Uh, that's part of being a human, uh, human being. That's a, that's a good thing. God created us to respond to beauty. This is choosing. 
there's an element of choice here. It's choosing to indulge in lustful fantasies, to, re to reduce another person to a sexual object. And then Paul says, uh, evil desire. And that's where I'm open to lust. That's kind of the, the precondition to it. I look forward to it. Uh, I'm available for it. I haven't closed the door to it. And then he talks about greed. And here it, it means simply unchecked hunger for uh, physical pleasure, sexual, material, or otherwise. And so I just want to ask you as uh, clearly as you know how, um, have you died to sexual sin? I would say in a church our size, I'm sure some of you listening will be in the midst of an affair or you'll be involved in a relationship that is clearly sexually disobedient to God's will and God's word. Or you're walking down a road that's very clearly heading that way. And I just wanna ask you today, will you die to it? And some of you need to make a phone call. You need to call someone and say, it's over, it's done. We're not gonna do this anymore. Will you do that? Will you decide right now? Some of you wrestle with pornography or lust, and you've struggled maybe for a long time, but your struggle is in secret. You've never really done what you know you need to do, which is to get help for it. And so I'm asking you today, will you die to it? Will you say, I will make a call. I'll tell a friend, I'll get help from a counselor, I'll join a group, I'll do whatever it takes, as long as it takes to put it to death. I'm through playing games with this. There's no way around this. Paul says, put it to death. All right, now we're gonna shift gears and look at Colossians 3, uh, starting at verse eight. Uh, Paul goes through the same kind of thing in the category of anger. Uh, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Now, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna die to this stuff? This is very important. Most people, when they hear these kinds of instructions, what they think is, I must try really, really hard not to do these things. They think, I've gotta try really, really hard not to lust, or I've gotta try really, really hard not to be angry. Well, trying really hard is not gonna do it. I'm sure you've had that experience a hundred times and so have I, uh, because what's inside of me, what's inside my mind and my heart will leak out of me. A family has a group of people over for dinner and the father of this family is an angry person. Uh, but of course, he doesn't want people to know that he's an angry person. Uh, these are people from church and he wants them to think of himself as a spiritual person. And so these people come over for dinner and this angry father, trying to look spiritual, asks his five-year-old son to pray for dinner. And the son says, well, I don't know what to say, dad. The dad says, well, sure you do. Just pray what you've heard me say before. And so the son says, oh Lord, why did we have to have all these people over for dinner? <laughs> it just leaks out. Some of you have been carrying grudges for months or for years, will you die to them today? Will you say, I'm gonna make a call, I'm gonna write a note, I'm gonna say whatever words I need to say to launch me down the road 
toward forgiveness. I may need to say them over and over and over again, and it may take a long time, but I'm going to start this process today, and I'll do whatever I need to do. Some of you have been slandering another human being, maybe even someone in our church, talking bad about them on social media or gossiping about them behind their back. Will you die to this? Will you go to that person and ask for their forgiveness? Paul also says, do not lie. Uh, some of you are married and you have conflict with your spouse, uh, unresolved anger, and your spouse approaches you. Uh, your spouse wants to uh, be physically intimate with you, and you know that's what your spouse wants, but you pretend not to know. You withdraw and you avoid and you withhold yourself and you hope that it hurts them a little bit. And you convince yourself that it's not a lie because you haven't said a word, but it's deceptive. You pretend not to know what you really know. It's a lie. Will you die to it? It's leading you to death. It's not leading you to confrontation. It's not leading you to love. It's leading you to death. There's no way around this one. Sin does not die of natural causes. It has to be put to death. And willpower doesn't do it alone. So you need to say one day at a time, God, my intent is to close the door to this, to no longer consider, consider it an option and to take whatever steps that I need to take to put it away. Will you resolve to die to sin? I hope you will. Because the alternative is to live according to your sinful nature and it's a life of misery. All right, in the time that we have left, I wanna talk about how it's possible to have a transformed mind. Uh, there's a staggering statement that Paul writes. It's 1 Corinthians 2.16. Think about this. Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. Imagine what it would be like if your inner life, if your thoughts and feelings and desires and perceptions and understandings were the same as if Jesus was in your place. Imagine if what comes out of you, uh, what you do and say, were the things that Jesus would do and say if he was in your place. Imagine when someone hurts you, that your immediate thoughts are not to inflict pain back on the person or to run and hide from that person, but to honestly and courageously seek authentic reconciliation. Imagine if your mind just worked that way. Imagine when someone else succeeds, instead of comparing yourself to them or feeling depressed because they've succeeded more, feeling authentic joy at what they've done. I mean, you just naturally feel the way you would feel if you yourself had succeeded. Imagine when you sin that you didn't respond by wanting to run and hide from it or trying to excuse it or spiraling down into this endless depression by beating yourself up, self up over it. Imagine instead that when you sin, you respond by having an appropriate level of pain because you know that it grieved God and it hurt another person. And so you confess it and just openly and honestly to God, and you desire to do whatever it takes to set things right with whoever it is that you may have hurt, and you learn from it. And then you move forward confidently, assured that God has forgiven you and that he still loves you. Imagine feeling confident instead of anxious, generous instead of selfish, rested instead of fatigued, patient instead of irritable, loved, imagine feeling loved instead of lonely, 
Imagine what that would be like. Don't you wish you had a mind that was fully set on things above? Well, Paul puts it like this in Philippians 2, and there are many statements uh, like this throughout the New Testament. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. This is a mind where God the Father is always present, and he just gradually crowds out foolish ideas and misguided intentions. So what does a mind that's being transformed by God look like? Let's talk about this for a moment. You will be able to recognize God's transformation because increasingly the moods that will dominate your life will be love instead of resentment and peace instead of chronic anxiety and joy instead of uh, continued unsatisfied desire. Uh, you'll face an emergency and your first response will be to expect that God's going to be with you. Uh, you won't struggle with the desire to be any more uh, smarter or successful than you already are. You'll actually experience peace inside. When someone speaks well of you, your first thought will be, well, you know, God is good to me. He helps me and he blesses me and you'll just have joy. When someone opposes you or condemns you or criticizes you, You'll remember that God loves you, so you don't have to appease them. You don't have to do something to get them to like you. You don't have to criticize them back. You just love them because you're just living in love. You see, this kind of mind uh, is absolutely key to spiritual transformation. And that's why Paul says in Romans 12, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed, how? By the renewing of your what? Of your mind, of your inner life, of your thoughts and feelings and so on. So how do we, how do we renew our minds? The renewal of the mind comes about when you enter into a life of training. And this is why Jesus says, there's no disciple above his master, but every disciple who is fully trained will be like his master. It's why Paul says, train yourself unto godliness. Because significant human things happen when people train for them, not when we try for them. You cannot sit at a piano and play uh, no matter how hard you try in the moment, if you haven't properly trained to play the piano. You can't perform a surgery or run a marathon or play a sport simply by trying really, really hard if you've not trained for it. Training means you, you orient yourself or your life around certain activities that will enable you to do what you can't do right now. Training involves orienting your lives around certain activities that will enable you to do gracefully and effortlessly what right now you can't do. And generally for uh, very significant things in life, you can't simply try really hard to do them. You must enter into a life of training. And this is true in the spiritual life as well. Uh, let me give you a few examples of spiritual practices that will train us to be uh, transforming our mind or renewing our minds. 
Uh, a spiritual practice is something I do with my body. Uh, for instance, in solitude, I remove my body from the world that's trying to squeeze me into its mold uh, from all of the noise, from the pecking orders and the constant simulation so that I can be alone in stillness and listen to God. Uh, reading and reflecting on scripture is a practice. I bring the words of God before my eyes and they guide the thoughts in my mind. They direct my thinking toward what is true. They change my heart and they change my attitude and my perspective. Uh, worship is a practice. I bring my body into a space where I can lift my voice, where I can lift my hands and worship God. Worship is a practice. It's something I can do to take my mind off of the worries of this world and my own self-interest and instead focus my attention on God. You see, a spiritual practice is something I do with my body that disrupts the, the normal flow of thoughts and feelings that otherwise just go on automatic uh, without me even thinking about them or wanting them. And so we're going to do that right now. You see, the purpose of a practice like worship is I bring my body into a space where I can lift my voice to God, taking my mind off of all the worries and taking my mind off of my own self-interest and focusing my attention on God so that my mind can be renewed and my life can be transformed so that I begin to live as Jesus would live if he was in my place. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind is simply entering into training, uh, wisely arranging your life around the appropriate kinds of practices and relationships and experiences that disrupt the automatic flow of thoughts and feelings so that your mind can be renewed and your life can be transformed. Let me give you a word of encouragement on this. Uh, in the Olympics, there are athletes who started out in their sport scared to death. I mean, the first time you jump off a 10-meter platform into a swimming pool, it doesn't matter how gifted you are. You're terrified. I'm sure there's a lot of fear associated with the balance beam when gymnasts start out doing backflips on it. I mean, I start to get sweaty just watching it. Here's the deal. These athletes offer their bodies every day in practice. They get up every day to dive off of 10-meter platforms and perform balance beam routines. Day after day, month after month, year after year, they practice. And finally, their minds get renewed and they're able to do effortlessly and gracefully what they could not do in the beginning. And here's the deal about transforming your mind. And this is such good news. I hope you're encouraged by this. You don't have to be good at following Jesus to pursue a renewed mind. Some of you just feel burdened and weighed down because you feel like you're not good at being a follower of Jesus. Well, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he stumbled and he moaned and he moved slowly and he fell down all the time. It doesn't matter. It does not matter because God is at work. You just keep offering yourself, your life, your body, a living sacrifice. 
you keep following Jesus, you keep entering into the training as best you can. And the day is going to come when your mind is renewed and your life is transformed. It may take a long time. It doesn't matter. It's inevitable. All who will say, my ultimate goal is to follow Jesus and live with a renewed mind can rest assured that God is at work. It doesn't make any difference how fast or how slow you go, whether you're a good follower of Jesus or a bad one. You will be transformed if you offer your life, your body, a living sacrifice. It's going to happen if you keep training. So I hope you get it. The call to follow Jesus is not a call to try hard to avoid certain behaviors or sins. It's a call to enter into a life of wise training so that our minds and our inner lives can be renewed and our lives can be transformed. And it will happen. All right, let me close with this. What's the most effective way to train in order to transform our minds and our hearts? And I want to say the principal way I know to do this is to learn how to meditate. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 4, whatever things are true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, let your mind dwell on these things. Uh, wouldn't it be great to have a mind that has this kinds of uh, these kinds of thoughts, this stream of thoughts running through it like that all the time. This is what I recommend we do. Uh, take one thought from scripture every day and live with it throughout the day. Uh, maybe it relates to something that you struggle with like fear or anger or lust or a lack of peace. Take one thought from scripture and let it just stay with you throughout the day. Just let it linger with you. Just keep bringing it back to your mind. And what happens is you begin to memorize scripture. Uh, I think memorizing scripture is probably one of the most fundamental practices for spiritual transformation. And it's not showing God like how many verses I can remember. It's about getting a renewed mind. Take a verse like Psalm 16, 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is my, at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And you just meditate on those words and you let them become part of you. Now, I realize that for a lot of people, the word meditate is a scary word. You know, people wonder, well, isn't that kind of an Eastern thing? You know, don't Buddhists meditate? Uh, Dallas Willard said, yeah, they do, but they also eat breakfast too. It's still a good idea. Uh, meditating is just, in a sense, a form of positive worry. You just allow that thought to come back into your mind and just come back into your mind. That's all meditating is. And you begin to think, I have set the Lord always before me. Now, what would it look like if I were to wake up first thing in the morning and instead of being overwhelmed by how much I have to do or worried about something, I knew that God was right there with me. And as I greet people first thing in the day, God is right there. And as I work, Maybe something bad happens. Uh, someone challenges me or a, a project doesn't go well or I have financial challenges, but the Lord is at my right hand and therefore I'm not shaken. And you picture yourself going through your day not shaken. God is there with hope and love and peace and joy. And here's what happens over time in your mind. You start to think, I guess I do really want God. 
not just because I'm supposed to try to do the right things or believe the right things, but I, I really do want God. And his word starts to move from your mind into your heart. And then it starts to move into your will. And you find yourself saying, I've got to have this kind of life. God, whatever you need to do, help me to move toward this kind of life. Whatever I need to do to move toward it, I'll do it. And you start to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This really can happen. My suggestion is that you take a word like the word from Psalm 16, and you write it down. Uh, put it on a card on your desk or put it in your car. Uh, put it somewhere so that you'll see it. Uh, put it in your bathroom, and depending on how regular you are, you'll spend a lot of time meditating on it. <laughs> okay, that was bad, sorry. Uh, let's learn together how to meditate on scripture. Uh, let's not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world but let's be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today.